0: Welcome into tailgate Austin Gale here with Mike Renner the Wednesday edition of tailgate episode 247 we are reviewing or reacting to bleacher reports latest top 100 2022 NFL draft board also Trevor Sikma, current PFF analyst here he did a mock draft recently gonna throw reactions at that and at the back end of the show interview with Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith let's get it. Mike, we finally have some other big boards, other mock drafts to react to here. The Bleacher Report team, they have like a team of analysts, including Nate Tice, Brandon Thorne, Derek Claussen, put together a top 100 draft board for the 2022 NFL draft. I don't really want to focus in on...
1: I'm going to name like three of the guys, and then there's Corey Giddings and Brent Sobleski too. I didn't
0: know there was only two more. I guess I couldn't think of them all at the same time. (laughs) Sorry. No,
1: sorry. I guess Brent (laughs) Sobleski and
0: Corey Giddings also on that panel of analysts there. Not, I don't think we focus on the top 100 though because mm-hmm. I want to focus on the position rankings for Bleacher Report's top
1: 100. Okay. And then for whatever Trevor, you want to focus on. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm here to do whatever.
0: Trevor right. Sigma also uh, did a mock draft recently. We said we'd react to that. Going to pull that up as well. Look at some of his picks ahead of the 2022 NFL draft. In the back of the show, like I said, Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith already passed his win total for the 2021 season, changing the culture for the beeves up there in Corvallis. Let's start now with this Bleacher Report big board ranking here and I want to start with the quarterback class the quarterback class they have right now Desmond Ritter Cincinnati is their number one quarterback in the class Matt Corral of Ole Miss at number two Kenny Pickett at three who right now is QB one for Mel Kuyper Mel Kuyper Jr. just came out with his latest big board. I think we'll react to that on Thursday's episode. But Kenny Pickett is QB1 for Mel Kuyper Jr., the Pittsburgh quarterback Mm -hmm. that has ascended up ranks. He's also the highest-graded quarterback according to PFF so far this season, really taking a step forward, focusing in on that top three. No Malik Willis, no Spencer Rattler, no Sam Howell. This is a unique top three for Bleacher
1: Report. I think you're going to see a lot of unique top threes, top fours, top fives, whatever, in this quarterback class because of, goes back to what we keep saying, there's no guy like there, there's no or guys like there was in 2021 <laughs> at the top that you're like this guy I'm taking number one this guy's the total package and there's no guy that's really playing good football and I put out you know our quarterback rankings got tweeted out last week and I had Quincy Avery one of the quarterback one of the famous quarterback coaches uh, who trains a lot of NFL guys a lot of guys college training for the pros and Jim Nagy senior bowl director and my mention saying Desmond Ritter should be top four and then Ritter puts up just a dog shit performance against Army, of all people. It has probably his two, we're going to talk about him later in the fall, or probably the two worst throws he's made all season long. And I went back and reviewed Ritter's tape, and I probably was too low on him. I, I probably wasn't giving enough credence to who he's been this season. But even him, like you watch the tape of him against Army this past week, and you're going to try to convince me to draft that guy top 10? It's a scary proposition. And I think that's the case with a lot of these guys, really the guys who haven't played bad football this year, or at times, Corral, Pickett are the two who really have probably had the most complete sort of trajectories. But even them, those guys are kind of one-year wonders to a degree. Pickett especially in that this is a different player than we've seen at any point prior to. So from that perspective, that will make you worry as well. So uh, I I do think this quarterback class is a mess. And however you really want to rake them at this point in time, I'm not gonna argue too much. Yeah, you know these guys. Like I've said, a lot of them have arm talent. A lot of them have rushing ability. None of them really have the complete package at this point. I
0: mean, that's evident, like as you're saying. I mean, that's evident in that no one has a QB one. Like, there's no consensus QB one. There's no consensus QB two because it's kind of just a a hodgepodge of talent. And yeah, it depends. It's kind of like a flavor. Like, what flavor of quarterback do you want? I think you made a good point there, though, that there are two quarterbacks that have been excellent this season that don't have like obvious duds on their tape that is matt corral of ole miss and kenny pickett of pittsburgh right now kenny pickett among quarterbacks in the fbs is the highest pff passing grade and also the highest pff passing grade from a clean pocket which we know is more stable than looking at overall passing grade other quarterbacks notable on that list Carson Strong of Nevada is number three right behind Bryce Young of Alabama. Then you have Grayson McCall, the Coastal Carolina quarterback at four. A little bit down the road, though, Matt Corral inside the top ten. What you don't see is Malik Willis. Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback that comes in at number four here, right ahead of Spencer Rattler, right ahead of uh, Sam Howell, et cetera. The last two games from Malik Willis haven't been good. Seven turnover-worthy plays in the last two games. Is he falling a bit in your eyes? I know he's that toolsy guy. I know he's yeah. a running back at the quarterback position with that rocket arm. But where is he right now? You see him QB4 here. Where is he for you?
1: Yeah, he's the one that I, I just would struggle to really for sure put in round one. Like I, Obviously, he's been in the quarterback one conversation, but He's just so far away still. Like he's not starting next year with the way he's played this year at Liberty. And again, the tools are insane, but he is about as he's still a massive project. And that's year five for him in college football. You know, a massive project that deep in. You can forgive Trey Lance for being a project, whatever. Uh for you know, the level of competition he's playing against Malik Willis, obviously at Liberty, not playing against great competition either. That's obviously gonna be a thing, but in year five compared to year two and a half whatever for trey lance coming out that's a big big difference for me the interesting thing on this list though for as much as you know spencer rattler getting benched maybe transferring maybe not even in this draft they still have him ahead of sam howell so they're, they're they've said howell has fallen further or maybe they just didn't have his high opinion of Howell in the first place than spencer rattler which is crazy to me
0: yeah that is Pretty wild. I think Jaden Daniels is also high on this list. Jaden Daniels, Arizona State, doesn't even rank inside the top 30 in PFF passing grade from a clean pocket. Has been, you know, I was talking to Anthony Tresh, a college analyst here at PFF, and he's like, you know, you look at how much Arizona has, Arizona State has had to adjust this offense for Jaden Daniels' limitations. To put him ahead of even guys like Carson Strong, Jake Hayner, Tanner McKee of Stanford, that feels a little bit rich me as well I mean they're chasing tools with some of these guys right like Spencer Rattler Daniels both toolsy guys Howell too with that rocket arm I'm more confident in Howell over Daniels and Rattler at this point and there's even a conversation to put him ahead of Willis too
1: yeah that's the thing it's like there's, a, there's arguments for every single one Anyway, you slice it. Exactly.
0: All right, let's move to let's the running back list here. I don't want to focus on this too much. Running backs is always a list that I think changes a lot for us. Combine heavily impacts this. Right now, according to Bleach Report, Brees Hall, number one, the Iowa State running back. Number two, our RB1 right now, Kenneth Walker of Michigan State. Then you have Isaiah Spiller, Texas a Zach Charbonnet, UCLA. And then this is the back I want to focus on. Kyron Williams of Notre Dame, Another analyst here at PFF, Ben Lindsay, who does the Notre Dame packets for NBC every single week. He has been watching NBC or Notre Dame tape all season long, maybe even more than you. He likes Kyron Williams. He's yeah. RB5 here. I know he's RB9 for us. Where are you at right now for Kyron Williams? Do you see a guy that he could maybe move up boards? nine, one 199 pounds.
1: Yeah, I just, one that size is a tad worrisome. Like I said, 199 pounds is small for an NFL running back. Like if you're, yeah, he looks. You know, good in pass protection, looks good for a college back, but that's still on the guys. The majority of guys who are productive NFL backs are 210 plus. And when you are on the shorter side, she's small, smaller side, weight wise, you better have some speed. And I'd be surprised if he broke like a 4'6. Like he, he's Clyde Edwards Hilaire esque in that regard, in that you're just going to look better against college linebackers. Cornerback safeties trying to tackle you than you are against NFL guys when you are, like I said, only two, 199 pounds without elite juice. And that's kind of how I see Kyron Williams. So I'll just chase guys who have a little bit either better size or better athleticism. I'll
0: tell you right now, if he goes to the combine, Kyron
1: Williams, Notre Dame, weighs, in around, him, yeah.
0: weighs in around 200 at 5'9 and doesn't crack four fives. I'm, I'm 100% worried about that type of back in today's yeah. NFL. And he's not even a guy that... You know, when we look at, you know, I think Devin Singletary of FIU FAU was not great size, but forced a ton of missed tackles. Then you have Javante Williams, who was not a great speed back out of UNC, but forced a ton of missed tackles. Kyron Williams is not anywhere near yeah. the top of PFF's list in forced missed tackles per attempt. He's not, he hasn't been at least that type of back. Looking at some of the highest graded backs in the country that are in this draft class, Kenneth Walker at one, Zach Charbonnet at two, Chase Brown of Illinois, another guy up there, I'm not sure if he's in this draft class though, but still, not Kyron Williams. I think he'll be an interesting one. More people will like him. He's a tough runner. I think a lot of people like how he runs the football, but whether or not he's that top
1: five prospect, I think we'll we'll see. Yeah, I think they're top the top of the board though, Hall, Walker, Spiller, Charbonnet, very similar to how we have it maybe not in that order, but the same, same, same names.
0: Receivers is where it gets interesting, man. Drake London is their wide receiver one and Nate Tice does the wide receiver scouting he's been on this podcast a fantastic follow on Twitter I think it's just Nate Tice on Twitter he has Drake London wide receiver one he is in my opinion the obvious favorite to win the Blitnikoff this year he's easily been the most productive wide receiver I'd be forward if he doesn't and I'd be I I would 100% back the fact that he's the best college football receiver right now yeah however is he the type of receiver that I know you and I know and love that separator at the next level, that guy with speed, that guy can win down the football field outside of contested cat situations i haven't seen that i think you said maybe a few weeks ago or a month ago that london his best position in the nfl maybe be this may be this big slot role and that's how i kind of see it too i know he's played a lot more outside receiver at usc this year he's also a friend of the show your reaction to drake london the usc wideout, the big monster for the trojans at wide receiver one for tyson Bleach report
1: yeah i mean there's a lot to like I, don't get me wrong he's what wide receiver three for us he's got insane ball skills, ridiculous catch radius. Like he, he will have a role that is very easy to project at the next level. Like If you want to run him as a big slot, if you want to run him as a possession wide receiver, third down sort of specialist, the intermediate level, he can do that. I just would prefer a guy who can also, in today's NFL, attack deep with some legit speed. And, and I think there's no more real indicative stat for that for london this season then 46 of his 79 receptions have gone for first downs only 46 58 that's a it's an incredibly low rate for a wide receiver and that's just because that's kind of the targets he's getting and the targets he will get probably at the next level and th- there's value to that don't, don't get me wrong like that guy that you can rely on very valuable but i'm just going to chase if I am you know, wide receiver one, where they have them on their big board, top 15, I think top 10 player, actually. They have him ahead of Kyle Hamilton on the big board, which, whew, fuck. That, that's, but their grading that's systems are different, they're, right? they're yeah. grade, I don't know, yeah. Between they have different analysts grading different positions, giving grades that's Like numerical so that's scores. Different, that's always tough to sort of marry together at the end. But I'll just say I, I prefer the guys that, like I said, have some downfield juice. And I just think London, I mean, if he – if he runs in the four or fives, by all means, he could be wide receiver one. But I don't quite see it on tape. And even from the outside this year, I haven't seen it. I would argue
0: that Drake London could happily be the best big receiver in this class among a lot of big receivers. You have Drake London, Traylon Burks, Bell's that big contested catch guy for Purdue. Like this is yeah, Justin Ross of Clemson. I think in the beginning I was like big on Burks, who's also been on this show, but I think London maybe could be the best big receiver. But after that, then it's like Olave and Wilson, I still have firmly as that wide receiver 1A, wide receiver 1B for me because they you see them consistently create separation. Olave is one of the best route runners in college football, and yes, he's a little bit older. He came back to school for Ohio State, but I still feel Olave and Wilson are those guys that I'm more willing to spend top 20, top 25 draft capital on before I get even into these big receivers like London, Burks, Ross, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The other receiver point I want to mention, and I I know I didn't run through a lot of the rankings here, they have London 1, Olave Ohio State at 2, Dotson uh, of Penn State at 3, and then Wilson and Burks at 4 and 5. One I wanted to highlight, and I know I wanted to bring up Mel Kuyper Jr.'s big board on Thursday, Mel Kuyper Jr., who originally had Jahan Dotson as wide receiver 1, has moved him to wide receiver 3. His new wide receiver 1 is Jamison Williams of Bama, and Tice has Williams here at 12, wide receiver 12. And I know (gasps) you and I, Watched the Bama game, Bama Tennessee. We were in yeah. Tuscaloosa and continue to be blown away with the Ohio State transfer, former four star. How much he's had success with Bama, but are you ready to? Where do you stand? Are you wide, are you on the more on the wide receiver one side or the wide receiver twelve side between ESPN and Bleacher Report?
1: I, I think both are kind of both are kind of crazy to me. Obviously, since he's wide receiver five for us, we are right in the middle, which is kind of funny to see how that worked out in terms of the difference of opinion there. I, I just think he's not a complete type of route runner at 6'2", 189, he is your downfield speed guy. Like, that's what he's been for Bama. That's probably what he's going to be at the next level. I don't see him being uh, even like Terry McLaurin-esque because Terry McLaurin was, what, 210 coming out. Terry McLaurin was a, is still physical. You know, he leads the NFL in contest catches. Like, he had that to his game as well. So I don't think he's quite that. That could be a number one receiver, but he's also, I don't want to say a sure thing, but with how fast that dude plays in the football field, that's a, that in and of itself is a weapon. That I'll take over, uh, you know, like George Pickens they have at nine who has torn his ACL, hasn't played this year. Like I'll take over some of those guys, even uh, you know, like Justin Ross who's the big physical contest catch guy who really does struggle a little bit to separate down the football field. Give me the speed guy who has that in today's NFL every day. So that's how I feel about you know, Will Williams all the way down 12.
0: The next position group I want to jump to for Bleach Report. I'm not going to go every single one in the interest of time. It's you want to do big. tight ends? Tight ends looks lit, dude. You want to go tight ends? No. <laughs> Offensive tackle, which I think will be really good conversation all draft season as to where you slot these guys. Because I do think it's a really good class. It's an interesting class, too. A lot of shapes and sizes here. EK Mikwanu, friend of the show. A lot of shapes and
1: to... sizes. They're all fucking huge. They're
0: all fucking huge. But <laughs> I, I think there's the, the interesting discussion for me is going to be. Slotting guys at guard versus tackle. Because I think you, yeah. know, you have Brugler, I believe, liking Aquanu as a tackle. Kuiper and yourself liking Aquanu maybe in at guard. And here, Aquanu is Brandon Thorne of Leech Reports. Number one offensive of tackle, I think, with this grading system. Also, their number two overall player. Hello, Ekem Aquanu. And then number two, Evan Neal of Bama. Number three, the, the rising star that is Charles Cross of Mississippi State. A guy I think you highlighted maybe two months ago as mm-hmm. if he could put it together... A lot of people will like his tape. Charles Cross up there on both the Ble- Bleacher Reports and uh, ESPN's big board right now. Those are their top three tackles. Your reaction to Aquanu, Neal, Cross. How do you see that playing well, out? Well, shit, I just
1: put Aquanu. as locked him in the first round. So I, I obviously see him in a similar light in terms of how good he is. Now, I'm never going to say for a college tackle, I'm never going to say no. Immediately put him at guard. You always give the guy a chance. I, I think he'd be a better guard, but I do think, yeah. He probably could play tackle at the NFL level. The way he's played this year makes me think more so than the way he played in 2020. Um, And his tape has been better than Neal's. I'm not sure better than crosses and pass protection, but definitely better than Neal's so far this season. And for haggling over physical tools, it's kind of like at that point, you know, when you're haggling over physical tools for one guy who is damn good in his own right in Naquando, one guy who's about as elite as it gets in Evan Neal. I think the on field, the tape is the ultimate decider then at that point where there's the difference isn't that massive. That, yeah, I can see Aquanu over Evan Neal by season's end. I don't think that's crazy.
0: Looking at interior offensive line and interior defensive line, Thorne, not a lot of surprises here. Top two guys, Tyler Linderbaum and Kenyon Green at one and two. And then for interior defensive line, Claussen takes over the scouting. Jordan Davis. Is an 8.9 in his grading scale or his approach to the grading scale the number one defensive tackle and then after that there isn't a guy in the eights perion winfrey of oklahoma comes in at 7.8 what i'm surprised by you love seeing jordan davis at one i think everyone's gonna love jordan davis uh, the defensive tackle for Georgia, the freaking monster. Mm-hmm. But number four is DeMarvin Liao, Texas a yeah, and That
1: was the biggest surprise who, of anyone on this list for me.
0: Yeah, DeMarvin Liao's number four among interior defensive linemen. He explains his grade a little bit here, talking about getting bullied too much in the run game for his size, all that stuff. But your reaction, I guess, I, I'm floored because Liao's tape, to me, is havoc-bringing. I think every time you turn it on, he's such a disruptive force in the passing game and the run game. I'm surprised that he can't even crack you know the top two in what is already like a week into your defensive line class?
1: Yeah, and especially when you look at the guys ahead of him, someone like Perrion Winfrey, who is we're going to talk about in the fallers this week, because that guy has struggled mightily in the running game this year, and he obviously brings up Leal struggles. But like Leal has struggled on the interior because he's never played interior. You know, he's always been an edge there for Texas A&M, and that's kind of the the maybe a little bit scary thing with him is that he's two ninety, but an edge guy. But at 290, can you play edge in the NFL uh, nowadays? I don't know. With all the option runs, all you have to play in space, that he may have to kick inside. So there is a little bit of tweener to his game that may scare teams away, some teams. But man, he they said he's good, not great athlete. I, I think I see a great athlete. For a guy who's 290 pounds, I, I think I see a special player that uh, I, I think in time will be able to hold up in the run game or if you are a scheme that... One gaps that is not asking guys to necessarily you know grab guards and tackles, but just get upfield. Leal is your guy in this class. The edge
0: group, man. Every time I look, any list you see, whether it's ESPN, Bleacher Report, so PFF, good. it's just so good. Like there are so many talented edge players in this class. For Claussen, he has Kayvon Thibodeau at one, George Karloftis at two, Aiden Hutchinson at three. That's his top three. And I think there's there's arguments to all of that. I think you could put Karloftis as high as two. I don't think you're, you're anyone's really topping Kayvon Thibodeau when it's all said and done. But Karloftis, Hudson, all really town. What the most surprising one for me here is I know this edge group is good. Kingsley and Nagbury of South Carolina at ten. Yeah. Behind Benito, Harrison, uh, I'm gonna butcher this last name for Penn State, Arnold Ebeketti. Yeah. That one's he's easy. he's I, I I like his tape too. I also like Jermaine Johnson, who comes in at eleven, the Florida State edge, but a Nagbury. Behind Drake Jackson, you know, who's at number four, behind uh Zach Harrison of Ohio State, that I feel is a bit too rich in my opinion. That was the most, you know, surprising thing I saw from his edge list here.
1: Yeah, this edge class is insane. I mean, if you told me so he goes eleven deep here, John I don't know if you read off all eleven, but top eleven guys in this class, I could be convinced into any one of them going in the first round. That's how wow good like this class is by you know draft day. Obviously, it depends on who all declares, but that is how talented these guys are from top to bottom. And, and I said it with when we were talking about Kingsley last week. I was like, I can't, I can't fathom why more people don't like this guy. Like I, He has been uber productive, has great size for the position. I, I don't think he's an elite athlete by any means, but I think he's a plus athlete for the position, which uh, obviously is athletic-driven position, but he's already so good um, with his hands and plays a physical game as a pass rusher and has a number of moves that I, yeah, I I think he's the one that probably is the biggest difference between PFF draft board and maybe some other draft boards around, you know, in the media at the moment.
0: Going to wrap with cornerbacks and safeties here and then move to Trevor Sigma's mock draft, a corner not a lot of surprises. Derek Stingley a CB1 for Corey Giddings. Then he has Andrew Booth Jr. of Clemson at two. Martin Emerson of Mississippi State at three. Then you have McDuffie of Washington at four and Ahmad Gardner at five. Kyrie Elam getting faded a bit. He comes in at number six. That was kind of the more surprising thing I've seen for me. Elam, I think, could eventually for everyone be this kind of top five, top four consensus corner. But what are your reactions?
1: Yeah, I think there's a... That's like the six right there that everyone's going to, in some order, agree upon at the top. And, and then after that, that's like the, the tier, I guess like Stingley probably in his own tier, but then the tier two is Booth, Emerson, McDuffie, Gardner, Elam. Those guys are going to be some order, the next five guys off the board, if I had to guess right now.
0: For safety, Cal Hamilton, safety one. Then he has Brisker, of Penn State at two, Jaquan Brisker, Jalen Catalan, the hard-hitting, smaller safety for Arkansas at three. And I haven't haven't watched a ton of number four for uh, gettings here. Damani Richardson of Texas A&M, have you turned on his tape at all?
1: Yeah, I've watched some Damani Richardson uh, and the other safety there whose names I'm actually blanking on at the moment. Uh, I I like Richardson's sort of versatility. He's a bigger dude, 6'1", 210, and can play around the line of scrimmage and the slot and deep. He has that all-around skill set but I think guys in that there, there's a number of guys in that mold in that class obviously Brisker can do that Hamilton can do that but the guy behind him on this list Jordan Battle is the one I like to do that probably the best out of anyone not named Kyle Hamilton who's a freak of nature who's like on a different spectrum in his own right but like Jordan Battle is very versatile has almost near identical size to Demond Richardson but far more plays on the football on his tape this year last year any year of his career so far so that's who I'd prefer. We'll see, obviously, how they end up come draft day, but that's like the safety I'm leaning towards. Who he has number five on this list? Not too far off, but uh, I just haven't seen the playmaking ability from Richardson that half in Battle.
0: My take here is he has to be expecting Brandon Joseph to go back to school, or are we, are we completely moving out of Brandon Joseph out of top 100?
1: He hasn't had a great year. They've put him in the slot more this year, so he was a deep safety last year at Northwestern a lot. They put him around the line of scrimmage more. Trying to, like, in college, you probably want that guy around the line of scrimmage more because then you make more plays on the football. Like, quarterbacks, the way, you know, passing games are going in college football, it's a lot more horizontal, a lot more underneath stuff. So you can make more plays around the line of scrimmage, and he has not looked as good as he did last year when he was playing more deep. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, And he is kind of a pure single high or deep safety and does not look good around the line of scrimmage
0: all right let's now jump to trevor Sigma's 2022 mock draft big shout out to bleacher report for putting that top 100 together i think that is a cool project to get that many different minds to put a 100 together like a like a team so to speak i think it's a pretty sweet one uh but trevor Sikma he put together a 2022 mock draft i think last week And uh, before we do so, though, I got to let you know, 25% off any PFF subscription if you use promo code TAILGATE, that's T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, promo code TAILGATE saves you 25%. On any PFF subscription, college subscriptions, Edge, Elite, get access to everything at pff.com. Use promo code Tailgate for twenty five percent off. For Trevor's mock drafts, I want to focus in on a couple picks. I'm not going to read off every single one. He has the Jets here picking at six. I'm not. I don't care about order. People who get upset about mock draft order in season should honestly just stop reading. Yeah, why general. don't you even
1: read the mock? Just, <laughs> yeah, just, do.
0: don't, just don't read. Just don't read. But number six, he has cornerback Ahmad Gardner going inside the top six. He's kind of going as a second cornerback off the board to the Jets. <laughs> Do you think... Ooh. I know there's obviously more tape to go. Yeah. And Ahmad Garner, I think, is this kind of consensus, CB4 to CB7, 8 for some people. Mm-hmm. I don't think he goes inside the top 10. I love Ahmad Garner, too. I I don't know if Ahmad Garner goes inside the top 10, though.
1: No, I'd be very surprised if he does. And if I'm the Jets and... I can't get Derek Stingley at the top of this draft. Like if 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 he's off the board by the time I'm picking, I'm not going cornerback with one of these top two picks. Kind of because what I said about that tier two at the cornerback position that includes guys like Ahmad Gardner, guys like Kyer Elam, guys like Trent McDuffie. Uh, Trent McDuffie. No, excuse me, not Trent McDuffie. That's not who I want to say. Martin Emerson, who would all fit their scheme, uh, who are. That type of corner that would fit Robert Salah's defense. Long, zone type of corners that can play well. So, like, you don't need to pick. I'd say the difference between those guys, in my eyes, is not massive that you need to go reach. Now, obviously, Ahmad Gardner does fit their scheme to a T. Uh, would be, I think, would be excellent in Robert Salah's defense. But it has been a defense that can famously get by with, Western draft corners, whether it's Rich Sherman in the fifth round. Now that's maybe an outlier, but Byron Maxwell later on in drafts, guys who are unique fits to that that wouldn't wouldn't work in Vic Fangio scheme as well. Wouldn't play in you know Bill Belichick scheme. Aren't pure man corners that you can get by. And guys like Bryce Hall, um, who I, I think is you know played well there, but dropped to the fifth round for a reason. And obviously it obviously was ankle injury, but also because like not every defense could have. Had a good role for him, so I do think that if I'm the Jets, I would be unlikely to use that again, barring Stingley not being there. Want
0: to move to pick 11. He has a Washington football team picking quarterback Malik Willis, PFF's QB one right now as the top quarterback drafted.
1: Do you like? It's I said fluid. right now. I it's said fluid. right now. I said right now. Maybe not right now. On the last. On the last. Say on the last update. On the last update. So not right now. On the last update. Currently. Or I guess not currently. I don't know on the
0: last on the update- last update
1: that that expired the time it was published. Fair enough, Malik Willis. So
0: I, I want to use this conversation. Do you think the first quarterback in April's draft goes outside the top ten as it is here? And do you think Washington, if they Ooh. are picking in this spot, do are they should should they if they are picking inside the top ten, top twelve, which I think they very well could be? Do they think? Do you think they go quarterback? <sighs>
1: God damn it! Why do you need to ask me these questions? I, it's so early. It's early, but it's that time. If quarterback first quarterback goes outside the top ten, I will say no. I think quarterback goes top ten. Gotcha. You gotta, you gotta ask me who it is. Shit, I have no clue. Uh, I really don't. But desperation is strong around the NFL, and as much as I don't love this quarterback class, it's not. It doesn't feel like 2013. That was the last time. One didn't go in the top 10, correct? I think uh, so. And those E.J. Manuel comes off the board. It's like, just compare E.J. Manuel and his skill set to what we got now. Like it's, there's tools. There, there are tools in this class that someone can talk themselves into. Um, you know, Daniel Jones goes six. Uh, other guys, have Josh Rosen goes seven. Like there are There are guys that go top 10 that kind of come out of nowhere or that you're unexpected come draft day. I, I very much foresee that being the case this season. I think
0: that's a fair assessment. I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine. Especially again, with I can't how many, how many teams need quarterbacks. I mean, there's so many teams that are going to be drafting inside the top yes. ten that will be in
1: desperation situations for the quarterback. Yeah, position. You got Detroit, you got Philly, you, three times, you know, multiple times. Philly mm-hmm. in the top ten. You got Houston. You have New York Giants potentially. Mm, probably <laughs> not going to Washington. There's a lot. So. We'll see. Denver, maybe.
0: Moving down the list here, want to highlight a couple more picks. He has um, the the excuse me the Kansas City Chiefs snagging Kingsley and Agbury of South Carolina at 18. I don't know if they're going to be picking at 18. It might be a little bit higher. But is it obvious that the Kansas City Chiefs should lock into this edge class? I mean, I know it's early, but man, this pass rush, we've talked about this defensive line all year long they should dip their toes, right? They should dip their toes in trying to get an Aiden Hutchinson, a Kingsley and Agbari. Um, obviously not going to have an opportunity to get Kayvon Thibodeau, but I do like the idea of like consistently mocking edges or pass rushers to the Chiefs as we kind of move forward.
1: Yeah, I think there are a number of teams that will be in luck with this edge class that you just got to do it. Like I, it's that good. There's that many talented guys that... You would be crazy too. I mean, like, I don't want to never advocate locking on opposition, but it was kind of like the tackle class at the top of two years ago, where it was, you know, Jedrick Wills, Andrew Thomas, Tristan Worse. You take one. You know, it was the Bucks were sitting at, what was it, 14 in that draft before they traded up. And it's just like, you take one. You take which one falls to you. You're, you're going to do it because that's where your roster's at. That's what you need. That's where this position is strong. Uh, now you don't sit at 18 and draft Austin Jackson. Once it's once the run's done, it's done. But in this class, like I said, 11 guys I could see C going in the first round. Um, one of them should be sitting on the board for the Chiefs, so they are in luck.
0: I have another. So in this in this mock draft, he has the Pittsburgh Steelers at 20 taking Matt Corral, Ole Miss, and then at 28, Sam Howell comes off the board to the Detroit Lions via trade with the Los Angeles Rams. I am not. I would not be surprised. I know we're saying. A team will take a quarterback in the top 10, maybe multiple, but it would not be surprised if the back end of the first round, there are a handful of quarterbacks taken in this kind of hodgepodge class, like Howell, like Corral, maybe Rattler, if he declares like these guys where you want to pick up that fifth year option, you want to have them, you know, con- cost controlled, contract controlled for those five years, but you're not 100% convinced in him being that top 10, top 15 player. I do like especially for some of these teams, like if the Lions are drafting that low, Steelers drafting that low, getting one of those quarterbacks in this class in that range is such an easier pill to swallow than committing, you know, a top 10, top 15 pick in, for, in the round one.
1: Yes. Um, now the fifth year option with the changes made in the new CBA is not super valuable. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't give up negative EV in a trade just to go get that fifth year option for these quarterbacks in this class. Uh, but if there's a guy you like, obviously then you move up to go get them to make sure you're going to get them. But I think for Detroit, where they're sitting now, sitting at 28 and grabbing a guy makes so much more sense than wasting that, I don't want to say wasting that number one overall pick, but not getting a Kayvon Thibodeau to try to get a quarterback or not getting a, I don't know, maybe they may not end up the number one overall pick, not getting a Derek Stingley to go get your quarterback. You have that second first rounder that you got from the Rams, and there's, like I said, it's a hodgepodge quarterback class sit wait on it use that use that second first rounder for one of these quarterbacks if you're new orleans sitting there end of the first round they're another team that makes a ton of sense to be in this quarterback class uh it's it, there's no real you're, you can be m- missing out on blue chip players at other positions if you're a top five or six pick in this draft and going for a quarterback
0: Make sure to go to PFF.com to tre- check out Trevor Sycamore's mock draft. Um, also, Mike, you're dropping a mock draft mm, on Monday.
1: Next Monday. That you might
0: have to check out. Go ahead and check that out when you get there. If you're listening to this podcast on Monday, the following Monday, make sure to check it out. Also, check out DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can, be just, can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner. Chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Sportsbook daily or DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF, bet just $5, and any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you can win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook and official. Sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. On to our risers and fallers. After Leach Report 100, Trevor Sigma, 2022 mock draft. Risers and fallers. Kayvon Thibodeau. Monster this past week. Kind of solidifying his status as this consensus top player in the 2022 NFL draft.
1: Yeah, he was... He is a different dude physically, very reminiscent of, like I said, Miles Garrett coming out of Texas A&M, where it's just like, damn. There's even, even from like a physical tools perspective, compared to Chase Young, like Chase Young was more advanced as a pass rusher, but I think Kayvon Thibodeau is a better athlete for the edge, or like he is a more flexible athlete, like the type of athlete that wins on the edge, that just you saw it in this one, 10 pressures against UCLA, lining up all over the place, beating guards, running backs, tight ends, tackles. Um, and still, again, like, he's he's not super refined, but that's, that's kind of the beauty of it that he's so damn good. 92.9 pass rushing grade now in the season with f- few moves. Like, he's just that ridiculous. One of my favorite plays was he didn't even see a crack block coming from wide receiver. Gets rocked. Doesn't even, like, just eats it. Just bounces off a tackle, and then goes out and almost makes a play on the on the running back. It was insane. Like he, you never see a guy not see a crack block coming. One stay on his feet to even stay on his feet was insane. But then to go out and still try to make a play on the ball carrier was uh, just indicative of how special this guy is as an athlete. How do you think he's gonna test? I saw some- that's the thing. Like he didn't make the freaks list because we asked Bruce Feldman that, and he said, you know. We're going to had other guys that tested better. And I was like, well, shit, really? Like, now, again, testing isn't necessarily everything, but I bet there's, you'll have some number that's like, oh, okay, that's, that's wild. That's different for a guy 6'5, 258, whether it's a three cone, because three cones aren't sexy, but I do think you'll run a pretty good three cone.
0: Want to move to now Nevada's Carson Strong. They're sexy to me, damn it. What? Said they're sexy to me, damn it. They're sexy to me, damn it. The, especially the devil's three cone, the 666 three cone. If he puts that up. You have to love to see that. Carson Strong and Romeo Dubs, the quarterback and wide receiver for Nevada, also on your risers list here. Mm. Carson Strong against Fresno State in a loss. I'll say that, in a loss. Went 49 of 61 for 476, four TDs and a pick. And then for on, on the receiving end, Romeo Dubs, 19 receptions. Yeah. 19 receptions for 203 yards and a touchdown. It helps that. He threw the ball 61 times and had 49 completions. But still, to lock into into a receiver for 19 receptions is absolutely bananas.
1: Yeah, it was hashtag fun to watch. He had the best two-minute drill I've seen from a quarterback all year, at least. It was nuts. He made two back-to-back throws in that drive that were – that was the best two-throw sequence you'll see all year. I should probably tweet it out here at some point this week. It really was insane. The arm talent on full display now – Fresno State's D, whatever, but they've played well against Oregon, UCLA this year. Like it's not a trash, trash defense for you know group group of five competition. So yeah, Carson Strong still, like I said, kind of an arm talent project, probably a second round type of guy. But that was good. That was good football. That was good football.
0: I think you know, thinking more about this quarterback class. Remember last year, as good as that quarterback class was, you even saw late in the process. You know, the rumor mill turning that like Davis Mills could be a first rounder. Mm-hmm. How many of these quarterbacks are you gonna hear those rumors about? Like Carson Strong, Jake Hayner, you know, yeah. like Keaton Slovis. Like, like there are not, gonna be yeah. so many quarterbacks in this class specifically where there is a guy that likes Strong as a first rounder. There is a guy who likes Slovis as a first rounder. Man, I, I am excited this conversation is gonna be so much different than last year, and that there were like five obvious, like top twenty, top, you know, top thirty players at the quarterback position. Now, this year, I mean, there's going to be like 10 to 12 guys that people are like, you know what, Tanner McKee, I might slip him in. You know, I could be down. Like, that's going to be a lot of fun to follow as you move forward. And then, this and then
1: Dubs to bring him up, the wide receiver there, 6'2", 200. He's probably the guy I'm looking forward to most watching in one-on-ones at ball. He will. He caught a screen in this game, and just like his acceleration for a guy that size, you know, guys of that height is just difficult to – You're not going to accelerate like a 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", wide receiver does. Uh, It's like the point guard in basketball theory. Um, But he has that, and so I'm excited to see what he can do in one-on-ones when he gets there.
0: On to Weidemeyer here. He is the Texas A&M tight end. He's another riser on your list. And a bludgeoning of the Gamecocks, Texas A&M won 44-14. Weidemeyer caught four for 73 in this game, or 75, excuse me, and two touchdowns. He, one of those dudes in a deep tight end class, maybe not top heavy, but a deep tight end class loaded with Widermeyer, Trey McBride, et cetera. Isaiah
1: Likely of Coastal Carolina, too. Yeah, so he's he's been in the mix for tight end one, and I think it's him and Trey McBride right now that I would put as the two most likely candidates. I think Isaiah Likely, I'd say Likely, and then Isaiah Likely is kind of just not the guy I'm going to prefer in that trio. I like him, but you're tight end one, the guy you're going to draft, you know, as to make that guy, if you're really going to draft a guy in second, third round, you want him to be an inline blocker. And I just don't quite see it for Isaiah likely yet. Not that he's will, not willing. I think he is, but he's 240 pounds. looks like a wide receiver. And so uh, that's not going to play in every offense in the NFL. Wittemeyer though, slow start. We've talked about him before you know, did not come on strong so far the season. Didn't have a touchdown until week five, but two touchdowns in this game. Showed it after the catch on one, and then had a great post route where he shook a safety on the other. Um, a legit inline dude at 6'5", 255, has that to his game to where it's it's a debate between him and Trey McBride right now between who, who would be tight end one.
0: John Mechie of Alabama on the list as well. Showed up. It was, I mean, that Tennessee-Bama game was fantastic. Jamison Williams also had a good game for Bama, but 52-24, Alabama even covered the spread after what was kind of a slow start against yeah. Tennessee. They went 52-24. For Jameson Williams, he had in this one six receptions for 123, but Mechie, 11 receptions for 121 and two scores. Only only pass catcher with two scores in this game.
1: Mechie, for as much as we've said, he hasn't developed into that guy and like Judy was a couple years ago, like obviously Devontae Smith was last year. His he has improved. There have been aspects to his game that look better. The biggest thing to me is he looks much stronger this year, especially after the catch. He is at, he's like breaking arm tackles instead of going down against those. He just looks like a more well-built wide receiver, more NFL-ready in that regard as opposed to maybe, you know, we thought of him maybe as a Calvin Ridley type of role i think he's i don't want to say he's more than that but i think he can actually be the guy you throw screens to whereas i don't think calvin ridley's doing much with the last screen touches i think he can actually be a guy who after the catch can produce as well 17 broken tackles so far this year after only five last year so a a different guy strength wise uh, even if the production numbers haven't been out of this world like we were hoping they'd be
0: kyler gordon the Washington corner, a guy that... The other Washington Yeah, other Washington corner. I don't think... He doesn't get talked about enough in what is a very good cornerback class, mm-hmm. but Kyler Gordon, opposite of tri- uh, uh, McDuffie, has been phenomenal. Also, another really athletic player, guy that Jimmy Lake has developed amazingly. This past week, zero receptions allowed on
1: five targets. Two weeks in a row. Hasn't allowed a catch. He is... The movement skills of these two dudes at Washington are insane. They're not maybe the most... They're not that long NFL mold. Either of them, I wouldn't say. But they both have ultra-smooth hips. Both are really explosive, great balance. I, I'm big fans of both of them. And, like, you look at the numbers this year. with 13 to 28 targets for 179 yards all year long. Um, he has been excellent on the outside for the Huskies, and he's going to go to the combine test off the chart. So Kyler Gordon, maybe not a day-one corner, but he's a day-two corner for sure. Kenny
0: Pickett on this list. He's a big riser for everyone who's following the draft or even college football this year. They beat uh, Clemson at home 27-17. I don't want to focus too much on DJ Uwangalele, who has not lived up to expectations I don't this either. year. Went 12-25 for 128 and two picks in this game. But Kenny Pickett.
1: We were going to interview Big Dave, and we are just like, this is not going to be good content It's not a good conversation this year. It's not going we go to be good content. I mean, the first question, We're going to go to Louisville, interview Big Dave. We had talked to him already, and... How he got benched. Yeah. But other side of the ball, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett,
0: 25 of 39 for 302 and two TDs in this game. Easily like one of the, if not the, like biggest riser in college football, a known commodity at this point.
1: Yeah. Truly a different player this year than he has been at any point in time. And he's always had, you know, a strong arm. He's always had the tools, the size, some mobility, some escapability. But his accuracy was always question mark and has improved that a good deal so far this year. Like this game, 77.5 passing grade. Not even like, I think that's his sixth highest graded game all season long. And obviously it's coming against Clemson, the, the hardest tape, but that is higher than any Power 5 opponent he played last year. And he actually... Sh- shit, any FBS opponent that he played last year. That's a higher grade than any game last year. And that's against Clemson. A real deal, the best defense he's got to face all season. The tape that every NFL evaluator is going to go to when they say, let me look at Kenny Pickett. I'm ready to talk about him as a, if I'm Saints team, if I'm Lions team, if I'm maybe the Steelers uh, team, thinking about maybe they're picking in the late teens, I'm looking at Kenny Pickett hard down the stretch because that's how good he's been this season and w- and looking deeper into it and being like, is this for real? Where did this come from? How is he so much better this year? Talking to the coaching staff there because now this wasn't – there still are issues on him. I still think he's late to too many throws. He still uh, will hold on to the ball to a fault. But I love his pocket movement, and you can't argue with some of the throws he's put on tape this year. That one rolling, the touchdown rolling right in this game was an absolute dime, one of the best throws I saw all weekend that I, I'm i very intrigued by what he's put on tape so far. I, I'm thinking about, if I'm in the back end of the first round, I'm thinking about him. That's all I'll
0: say. Let's move to our fallers here. Before we do so, proud sponsor of Tailgate Podcast is Western and Southern. Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage. for winning strategies, Western and Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put ahead, put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? How about I need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns, a, earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth Podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash Chris. Chris, if you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Fallers Perry on Winfrey, Oklahoma defensive tackle. Also bleach reports DT two on that. He has not graded well of late and he had easily the lowest graded game of his season against Kansas, a 39.1 PFF grade zero total pressures. The only game this year where he said no pressures on 16. 16- Pass rushing snaps, also the lowest or tied for the lowest he's seen this season. Just a sixty point one PFF grade on the year for Winfrey.
1: Yeah, it's been so he was. You're kind of seeing why he was a DPR in twenty twenty, a designated pass rusher, to where he he was two hundred ninety pass rushing snaps compared to only one hundred thirteen run defense snaps. Meaning like he's on the field when you think the other team's going to pass, and now he's a full time starter and. He has a 40.4 run defense grade because the dude cannot hold up to double teams, and it's that. This is Kansas' offensive line. This is not Alabama's. You know, this is not uh, anything close to what he's going to sniff in the NFL. And he was eight plus yards down the field at times against double teams in this game. That is either a complete lack of lower body strength, which I don't think it is, but also effort. Like I, 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 there's a lot of questions about why a guy who is. You know, that talented as Perry Winfrey is. Uh, I bo- was he on, the, on Bruce Feldman's streak's list? If not, like he is one of the most athletic DTs in the country to be that bad against the run so far this season. And, and even in this game, no pressures against Kansas either on 16 pass rushing snaps. Like, it was an all-around ugly performance. A
0: burn-the-tape performance exactly. for Winfrey. Yeah. Um, Xavier Thomas, man, we've been waiting for this breakout for a while. It's just I don't know if it's coming, Mike. I don't know if the Xavier Thomas breakout is coming. 304 total snaps played this year. 59.4 PFF grade against Pittsburgh. Only four pressures. And it wasn't even a high pass rushing grade. Only a 65.8 pass rushing grade. He, since 2018, has not had a grade, a single season grade above 70. This breakout's not coming. I don't know if this breakout's coming.
1: One of the most inexplicable careers I can remember. Uh, You know, since we started grading in 2014 from a guy. Like, he was powerful as a freshman for clemson legitimately manhandling tackles 18 19 years old manhandling and now it's like there's there's no physicality to his game he's so there's no explosiveness he doesn't he's so timid into contact that it's like a different player and man i mean like the grade shows at best 84.2 pass rushing grade back in 2018 68.7 this year three years later or 2018 that was his freshman year three years later he's a not nearly as impactful a player like i i uh struggle with xavier thomas because man i loved that freshman tape and that is not who he is right now
0: i think um I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm interested in, in such a good edge class too. Xavier Thomas, like not even like scratching the surface, despite having like you know perceived tools and stuff. That's it's tough to watch for Clemson. Josh Job, another faller on this list, allowed a 70-yard pass in this one, easily the longest of his career. You hate to see it. Also allowed 99 yards on the day, four receptions allowed.
1: Yeah, not been a banner year for Job, and he got he got quick snapped on the one was not looking was not ready, but makeup speed was not was not catching up at all on that 70-yard touchdown. Um, so that is a bit of a concern for him. The penalties have not subsided this year that we talked about last year. Led the FBS in penalties with 11-6 so far this season. Uh, only a 63.6 coverage grade. Like I talked about that tier two of corners. He is firmly outside of that. He is like a, a late day two guy, seemingly at best right now with the t- with what he's put on tape so far this season.
0: Last one on the followers list, Desmond Ritter. You kind of hit it at the top. You know, Bleacher reports QB1. I think QB3 on Mel Kuiper's big board right now. Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, who leads the number two team in the country, did not have a good game against Navy, though.
1: I'll give him credit. Before this game, he is the reason why no one talks about the fact that Cincinnati has one of the worst pass-blocking grades in in college football right now. Their offensive line has been a massive or should be a massive, massive issue. It has been very, very bad. If Jack Cohn was behind there, Jack Cohn might be hospitalized at the moment. It's been that bad. But Ritter gets the ball out of very well, Has is incredible working from tight pockets. I have been very impressed with his development in that regard. But man, in this one, he made just two worst throws of the season. Uh, it's throwing the ball away, uh, some inaccuracy, some just waving on some throws. Three turnover-worthy plays on the day only resulted in one pick, but 18 of 30, 176 yards, it was bad all around. And again, Navy, Navy, and I think that's the biggest thing with Ritter is that he's not, yes, like he's played fairly well, but he hasn't played lights out, and the competition level for what it has been, you would expect lights out if you want to be drafting a guy, you know, first round
0: onto to watch Wednesdays renaming it to watch Wednesdays watch officially Wednesdays. we got bus watch other bus watch Whiff watch breakout watched and wast watch washed watch and then we'll go to your next edition we, we the, shouldn't
1: uh, we shouldn't clarify the bus watches we should just let people guess which one we're talking about.
0: I like that I like that even though
1: you it's, should be able to figure it out but maybe if you don't,
0: anyway then the last thing we'll have a first round lock list you'll add another name to the first round yes, lock sir. list and then we'll close out with the interview with oregon state head coach jonathan smith let's start with bus watch mm. brandon Ayuk slash dante pettis <laughs> joining Buswatch. this is tough a little early for iuk or no
1: well it's the dante pettis path is what it is i mean like this is what happened with dante pettis he looked good as a rookie year two inexplicably can't see the football field and in this one obviously the the whatever punt but he's on the field for 23 pass plays gets one target for six yards um I'm not sure what no one knows no one knows why he can't see a target can't see the football field can't get the majority of the snaps there in that 49ers offense while Trent Shurfield is out snapping him on the year now again it's only year two no a lot of time left but I I think after, or was it before the game, or during the game, I think Al Michaels said that Kyle Shanahan said to them that he loves the kid, but that he's got to start grinding, which I, I you obviously can't speak to what's going on behind the scenes, but this is, a again, sort of a movie that 49ers fans have seen, and My- it didn't end well last time, and it looks like it might not end well this time.
0: My opinion on it is that From what we've heard, which is very little, this has nothing to do with his ability. You know, he is still, when he gets the opportunities, dynamic after the catch, explosive. I liked how he separated last year. I thought he was going to improve on that route running from last year. This has to do with what we don't see when he shows, I mean, this is when he shows up to practice, when he leaves, you know, what he's doing in the film room, what he's doing in the weight room, nutrition, like that. I don't know. I'm not speaking to which one it is, but it has to be something with his work ethic, right? I mean, when he says he's not grinding, he needs to grind. In my opinion, he's just not putting in the work to improve, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's how what, I'm,
1: that's what grinding means. What else grinding? Well, you're saying we don't, we can't speak to what's behind the scenes, his... but that's
0: definitely what it is. It's definitely like work <laughs> yeah. ethic stuff. Yeah. I think that's, um, the concern, man. I think that's, uh,
1: you hate that stuff did do we interview him did you we did on what you, you think did you did if you didn't fall in love then there are probably concerns I don't know I don't know brandon IU, I don't know man I, I guess
0: I am kind of surprised by it though because it's wild to see like just how good he is when he does get the opportunities like, he's got to be like not grinding to a notable degree
1: but it's also weird the way f- in San Francisco guys almost get entirely phased out like you know that doesn't that rarely happens around the NFL where guy like like what Dante, what happened to Dante Pettis where he just wouldn't see the field at all. And I, I think that's, or even get targets at all when he was in the field. It's weird to see that happening in the 49ers offense.
0: There's definitely yeah. some opportunity maybe around just talking, I mean, trying to get a, a conversation with IU and pettis at some point, seeing like what the hell happened and what, what they weren't doing right, I guess. Yeah. But bus watch, the other bust, Jalen Ramsey? A little early for Ramsey? No, I think it's fine. I think Ramsey... Has been it's combo, like yeah, he's like in the conversation, but also like consensus top cornerback in the NFL for a few years now. And we'll have, I think, the notoriety, like the league and fans, like yeah. Jalen Ramsey is one of the first. When I ask these riders, you know, corners, who's the you know players they watch, everyone brings up Jalen Ramsey. He has yeah. been like the banner, the poster child for the position over the past few
1: years. I think that's the thing. It's. You have about three years of his career up to this point, so he's in year six. You probably got three years of his career where he was the unquestioned top cornerback, where ninety, you know, pro, or not ninety, but seventy-five percent of people would say he's the number one cornerback in the NFL, and that's halfway through his career. And yes, it is early; it's six years into his career, uh, but I, I think that is a big thing that factors into obviously Hall of Fame conversations. Were you the best of the, like, were you unquestionably the best? And I think that's already, for half a season's it's already to be that. Is a good start? Now, going back and looking at the cornerbacks from the 2000s that have made it, you got Charles Woodson, Champ Bailey, Ty Law, Aeneas Williams was kind of in the 2000s. He was in, you got into. in too. I think Jarrell Revis will get in. I think Richard Sherman will get in. Then after that, you kind of turn the leaf into this sort of new age this era of cornerbacks I don't see anyone that's really competing with Ramsey say Richard Sherman retires after this year after next year whatever Ramsey plays five six more years I don't see anyone right now that really is kind of
0: on that path
1: or or just like competing against Ramsey's Hall of Fame candidacy where it's like Ramsey will be that guy for the for the foreseeable future maybe Jair Alexander not Marlon Humphrey after what happened on Sunday but that's that's how I see it. And so those guys like Bailey, Woodson ba- Woods obviously played forever. Bailey played like 13 years long, I believe in the similar range that I think you need five or six more years from Ramsey, but he is, like I said, on path to be that guy.
0: With Watch, Andre Dillard. Former Washington State offensive tackle was a PFF favorite in that draft class. A guy that I think the most common thing brought up with Diller was the true pass sets. Like he had so many, and he graded so well on these true pass sets in Washington State's offense has not panned out for Philly uh, in the
1: league. Well, I wouldn't say he's not panned out in the league. It's more we had him the thirteenth overall player in that draft board. Um, now he has seventy-five point eight pass blocking grade this year, but he could very well be moved here before the trade deadline. Because obviously Jordan Mailata is the starter there, um, and I believe only one more year in a contract for Dillard. But like, they're not going to like he's he's not going to play if their tackle stay healthy. So he'll end up walking. But so he's been fine when he has played so far this season. But if you 13th overall player on draft board, that should be better than what he's been. And obviously injuries played a factor. Missed all 2020, but. I think 13th overall in retrospect in that class. That was a bit of a whiff. He was probably more of a mid 20s, 30s guy in that class. So if they do obviously trade him, that would be a pretty, pretty big stunner uh, for a guy just you know, 22nd overall picked a few years back. What do you think his trade value is? Premium position, like you Quite said, all right this year. Premium position hasn't been awful. And then probably actually you would have if you did trade for him, two more years after this of control of him. Third, or is that too rich? Maybe a fourth. I, if, I feel like if you're desperate, I don't know who out there is desperate for tackle help. That's like a contender, and like you are a contender this year. Your second would be at the back end of the second. I'd be willing to give up second for Andre. Wow,
0: wow. That's I mean that's not too big of a whiff then. I mean, 13th overall. I mean, if he can still garner second round, but down, like you
1: know. no, but I, I in the draft board. Like everyone glorifies, you know, later round picks and whatever. But it's really the top that matters the most. Because if you fuck up your first round pick, you fuck up. Like that's a big yeah. that's a big miss to fuck up the top a top fifteen guy on your draft board. Those guys better be damn good every single year.
0: With watch, Rashawn Gary, former Michigan Edge, now plays for the Green Bay Packers, was notably
1: behind Chase Winovich on our draft board. He It's all had- this year though. What? Until this year though he was not better than
0: yeah yeah you know? well i'm saying i'm saying yeah. notably behind chase Winovich, teammate at michigan has played a lot better this year on our, he's been on our breakout conversations on a handful of podcasts
1: yes and so he was he had beaten up sort of the type of rusher he is he's you know 275 explosive dude beats up tackles who struggle to anchor like that that's who he beat up in the past and i think this year you've seen like a, another move, or a, I guess like a, a plan B. He doesn't, he's not just going through guys every time he wins. And even this, this past week, like that wasn't the majority of his wins. He's learned to use his hands so much better to clear himself, to get basically, he's, he's not a bend the edge type of guy. And so he struggled to really win the edge with just pure get off and, and then, like I said, bend. He has done much better to win with his hands, keep his body clean to finish some of these plays this year and to get to the quarterback. Nine hits already on the season through seven games. uh, 83.6 pass rushing grade, a massive step up from what we've seen from him in the past, and especially, again, this past week we talked about it, right? Ten pressures, uh, definitely ascending breakout type of player that shit green Bay needed badly because their pass rush was struggling early on, and even he was struggling some early on to where they needed someone to step up with Z'Darrius Smith out. Rashawn Gary has been that guy.
0: Last week, we put Jason Pierre-Paul on the Wash Watch, and he stepped up. Now, this week, Jimmy Graham joining Washed Watch. He's been washed for a while.
1: And this one is overdue, but it's, it, it intrigued me or piqued my interest this past week because he got COVID. and was listed on the COVID list for, missed the game, obviously for against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, and I was, went back to look. I'm like, damn, I haven't even, like, I knew he was still on the roster, but I hadn't even thought of him. (laughs) Has anybody. All year. And I wondered why I hadn't even thought of him. Well, it's because he has one catch for 11 yards. Uh, He's been on the field 54 pass plays. Yikes. And he's about to turn, guess how old he is? 32. He's 35. About to turn 35. And they signed him for a two-year $16 million deal after we would have put him on wash watch back in 2019 with Green Bay when he was a disaster there. For the Packers, was it one of the $8 worst? Million times. A year? Eight million dollars a year. They didn't cut him this past off season to get eleven yards on he's one. He's gotten catch. eight million dollars a catch so far.
0: <laughs> That's absurd. Dude. There's no way that doesn't make any sense to me. How is he not signing for the veteran minimum?
1: couldn't tell you could I not tell you one of the worst spring that's not just past.
0: washed watch that's just like
1: but that robbery. Was, we
0: need a yeah. robbery watch add like just
1: someone who's just completely that dude's robbed. been ba- that dude's been bathing for like years he's that's, clean as can be that's insane
0: all right first round lock read the list we have so far and then who you're adding
1: okay shit the list so far one sec pull it up got it we have Kayvon Thibodeau Derek Stingley Jr. Evan Neal Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, DeMarvin Leal, Tyler Linderbaum, Garrett Wilson, Icky Aquanu. About to add a 10th. It's nine guys. About to add a 10th and we're going to go George Karloftis. Wow. Purdue edge slash defensive lineman. Line him up wherever and it's because he has just been consistent. Game in, game out, impact. No bad games in the schedule. No unproductive ones. 90.3 pass rushing grade this year so far. Does not come off the field, averaging well over 50 snaps a game for Purdue's defense at 275 pounds. Ironman qualities to him, uh, and obviously was a top-ten player on Bruce Sullivan's freaks list. That is an all-around profile that... Gets you excited in the first round. I
0: mean, this edge class, this defensive line class, you already got Leal in the first round lock list. You got Aiden Hutchinson. You got Kayvon Thibodeau. Now you got freaking George Karloftis. Four guys in
1: the D-line class. Very good. Yes, it's going to be a very good defensive end class.
0: And it's in a league where everyone needs pass rush help. I mean, it's one of the most premium positions in the NFL. Highest paid nine quarterbacks are all pass rushers. You can tell the Chiefs that with Frank Clark. On to our interview now with Oregon State head coach, Jonathan Smith. Now joining the Tailgate podcast is current Oregon State head coach. Also, former Oregon State quarterback, four year starter there at Oregon State is Coach Jonathan Smith. John, great to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. For those who don't know, who are not watching enough Pac 12 football, Oregon State, your Oregon State football team, has been phenomenal this year, largely exceeding expectations, coming off a huge win over utah i think where i'd like to start is this kind of underdog mentality that i'm sure you've leaned into a bit that your team and your players have really grabbed onto and let you helped lead to some of the success that you've had did you enter this season with that kind of mentality and how much do you think as that has fueled some of the successes that you've had
2: you know i think we did come into this season we within our building having high expectations and feeling you know some confidence with the the returning players we had and uh, whatnot uh, we try to to block out outside noise right as you go through a season and really be locked into just what we our messages our our beliefs are um, but look these guys are very well that you got to go earn respect on the field uh, and they were anxious to go do it this this season and you know about halfway through it I think we've earned a lot of respect.
0: No, 100%. I think an interesting thing for a team like Oregon State, who is having a lot of success, is as you know, expectations start to mount a bit, as this somewhat of an underdog mon- mentality starts to fade, because you guys are winning football games and exceeding expectations, how do you keep your guys level-headed and still approaching every week with that kind of cliche of let's go 1-0 and every week? We have to you know, earn this respect every single week. What have been some of the things you've been telling your players or the strategies you've been kind of laying out to make sure that you
2: guys stay level-headed? Yeah, we do talk about especially early in weeks like we did this week. Of you know the previous game is what it is. We got to learn and improve from it. Win, lose or draw, Uh, and also reminding them that because they've had that approach each week preparing for that particular Saturday, we've had some success. So why are we going to go and and start to change that? Um, We've talked about it early in the season, wanting to play our best football in November. at the end of the season. And the only way we were gonna be able to do that is each week having great weeks of preparation, playing, competing, ideally winning on Saturdays, learning from it, and sticking with that process throughout the year. And if we did that, we'd play our best ball in November when the games mean the most.
0: Yeah, I think that's honestly a fantastic mentality. I don't think I've heard that from any coach. Well, let's play our best ball in November. That's when, you know, things need to show up. And obviously you're competing for bowl games and these different things. That's kind of awesome to hear. So much of this success, I think, has been on this offense. It's a top 20 offense in EPA per player, overall efficiency in the FBS. And a lot of that has been led by, you know, former Juco quarterback Chance Nolan, who is having a wildly successful start to the 2021 season. And this is kind of his first full season. You know, last year he obviously played some, but it was a 2020 you know, coach. COVID impacted season this year, really hitting his stride for Oregon State. I guess speak to the development he's had under your tenure and also just, you know, what are some of the things that have led to this success in 2021?
2: Yeah, he's, he's definitely a, a totally different player than he was a year ago. Uh, in fairness, you know, last year was his first year. He ended up playing toward the end of the year because of injury and did some solid things, but it's drastically different. His confidence right now is comfortable in the scheme. He's definitely got some great help around him. Our offensive line's playing er- and protecting him well. we got guys on the outside making some plays for him. Our run game always helps the quarterback. And, and so there's a lot of contributions that have created chance to, to play well, help us win games. Uh, his decisions with the ball have been solid. Uh, and he's got a skill set that it's just not about throwing. He can extend the plays, not shy when he goes to run. And so with all of that, he's helped us to be pretty successful offensively. To play that best ball in
0: November, what do you feel are some of the strides or even further strides Nolan can take
2: you know, to improve his game? Yeah, he well he's got to learn from each week. People are going to game plan. We got a lot of tape out there now halfway through the season and so any tendencies he has or or flaws in his game are going to get exposed. So we got to learn each week and improve on things or mistakes that we've made previously. He's got to continue to lock the ball up, you know, again talked about his game outside the pocket and all that. He's got to keep the thing locked up and and protected. Uh, also, I think people are going to throw more coverage at him. And not just sit in one look and so learn throughout the game of what they're giving you uh, answers to whether he's getting pressured or they're dropping eight in coverage. All of that is, is something we've emphasized. He's working hard. He studies this game and practices as well. Uh, and he's going to need to, for us to continue to have some success. I think another re- you know
0: another thing driving your you know Oregon State's ex- success this season has been Corvallis. I mean this home stadium has been a juggernaut for you guys, a clear momentum driver, 4 and 0 at home so far this year. I don't think enough people talk about how tough it is to play in Corvallis. A lot of people look at, you know Eugene, Oregon and other you know UCLA, USC and some of these big hard to play stadiums in the Pac-12, but man, this, this Corvallis Stadium, I mean, in Corvallis, these fans have come out and really been awesome for Oregon State so far this season.
2: Yeah, we, we've got a great student section. It starts with our students, and they've been packed each week and making a difference in the game with energy and noise. And, uh, we talked a little bit with from a leadership standpoint the start of the season. These guys wanting to make a larger emphasis of protecting our home turf. And, you know, so far, so good. Got a couple more left, but uh, it needs to be a home field advantage when you play at home. This town you know, rallies behind this football team. Uh, we get great energy and atmosphere at our place and, and we've used it so far. <laughs> Forgive me for not knowing
0: the origin story for this, but it's one of my favorite like props in college football, and I think a lot of teams leverage this in some way. Cincinnati has the basketball hoop. you got the turnover chain in Miami, but what is the origin? What's the history behind the chainsaw turnover prop for Oregon State? It's one of my favorites. I think it has something to do with the Beavers and cutting wood and all that stuff, but, man, it is a phenomenal piece and a
2: great part of that culture there. Yeah, I think it actually starts with our defensive staff. They were brainstorming a couple of years ago to have something to celebrate the turnover and during the game, and and it kind of came together. You know, a uh, chainsaw, and yeah, the state of Oregon, we're chopping wood. We actually have the noise <laughs> of a chainsaw during home games on third down. And, and you know, at, at first, the, you know, they were a little hesitant. Is this going to work? Is this going to be corny or not? Our, our <laughs> players loved it, and uh, shoot, it's been a big hit that's
0: fantastic i think every every team in the coach has that same conversation It's like is this gonna be corny or are we gonna buy in i think you see like the scepter and the throne i definitely think the chainsaw has avoided corniness it is a it's a sweet prop man i love when it's being leveraged one more question for you coach and i'll let you go i really appreciate the time now in your fourth year having some success you're seeing that success in the recruiting rankings you're seeing that success honestly on the sideline in the student section i think talking to a lot of college football coaches you know ones that are trying to turn programs around i'd love to hear from their point of view, what are some of the things that you've tried to instill from a culture perspective to move this forward? Because oftentimes, it's not about getting the players. It's not about you know, changing things around from an X's and O's perspective. It's about changing the culture at different programs. What do you think have been the tenets of that change for you? And what maybe what of those have been driving the
2: success? Yeah, I think there's a lot there. But going all the way back to year one, three years ago, uh, I thought it was important to build some trust uh, with these players. They've been through a lot. You know, majority of them, we didn't recruit. And so all of a sudden a new staff rolls in. And so how do you do that? Yeah, you know, you learn their stories. You learn their names, everybody knowing each other. Um, and, and used it to, if we're going to know and trust each other on third down and four to be in the right spot, we got to be able to trust each other um, every day. Uh, I think the other piece that, that was important was consistency especially from the the coaches in year one not having near the success everybody wants but being able to be consistent to dive in and keep coaching the players when we're not getting the results we want i think that has paid dividends for us now in years three four that these guys truly know that we're going to be consistent with them uh, not play the blame game but just truly diving in to help guys improve and we're reaping some benefits of guys that have been here in the program now three or four years
0: Absolutely. That's awesome to hear, man. I really appreciate the time, Coach, and I wish you the best of luck the rest of the season. Okay, I appreciate it, Awesome. Jonathan Smith, spectacular guest on the Tailgate Podcast. Also, a spectacular offer on the Tailgate Podcast. It's football season, baby. You know what that means. It means we're going for two here with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Blitzing through Harris has never been easier. And it's time for you to join 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by using code PFF at Manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping. It's three and out the window with all of the trimmers. Now, go tame that Wildcat offense. I can't leave the house without my Manscaped trimmer. I can't leave the house without my ball toner or my ball reviver. And the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 is here to take your defense to the next level. The fourth generation trimmer features cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor. A new multi-function on/off switch can engage a travel lock and gives you the ability to turn on the 4,000 LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too? Rain, snow, or sleep are no match for the waterproof power of the 4.0. There's no 15-yard penalty for this clipping. Get 20% off and free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use use code PFF. Stiff arm your pubes out the playoffs this year with
1: Manscaped. Always love the Manscaped Reads. I know I often shave my balls in sleet, so it's nice that that... uh, You often shave your balls in sleet? Yeah, so it's nice that it's protected from that. I haven't shaved my balls inside
0: since doing these reads. <laughs> like, I know that I need to be outside yeah, in the rain. Yeah, you've gotten shows. arrested a few times, I heard. Yeah. I mean, you got to test it. Test the product. Rain, snow, or sleet, no match. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I've been doing it underwater sometimes. Who knows? Uh, this is going to do it for the Wednesday episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Do it everywhere. Do it absolutely everywhere. Also, use promo code TAILGATE for 25% off any PFF subscription on pff.com until next time Mike Quinn Austin Gale I said Mike Quinn first I love that actually Mike Quinn the producer David Safaro, Max Chadwick Stone Rochelle Austin Gale Mike Renner tell you